Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. I hope that if you have not already ordered my new book, pre-ordered it for November 24th, you will order it today anywhere you like to get books. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Wherever you stand on legalized marijuana, the idea of it has been gaining ground across the nation. And today in this podcast, we're going to talk about what some states are learning after they legalize marijuana and why so many pot advocates have been disappointed. If you've been watching Full Measure, you may know that a couple of years ago, I investigated legalized marijuana in Colorado and the impact of it and what they'd learned so far. And pot advocates actually agreed with legalized pot opponents on a number of things that had not turned out the way that people hoped, including not enough tax revenue raised, crime, all kinds of crime was on the increase instead of the decrease. And they particularly talked about problems, including pot advocates, with the fact that they don't really have a test for driving while impaired by marijuana. And they said that was really posing a safety problem in Colorado. So fast forward to now I'm doing a similar investigation of the largest legalized pot market in the country, which is California, which approved recreational pot starting in 2018 with this idea that it was going to generate a wealth of taxes and all but eliminate the shady criminal element. And they said that they really were watching Colorado's experience and hoping to learn from it. But what did we find? That's the topic of the cover story this week on Full Measure. You can uh, watch the video actually to be posted on Sunday, September 27th, online after it airs on TV, probably around 11 or noon Eastern time at fullmeasure.news. It's actually, I think, a very interesting video to watch, the scenes that we shot and the pictures that we got. Uh, in one case, I was invited to go to a marijuana taste test. So that's in the video where we observed a group of guys on a podcast. I'm not sure anybody was listening or watching to the podcast, but they were for a podcast taste testing various types of marijuana and then ranking it. They seem to be having a really good time, so um, that's in our video. But the meat of what we discovered, these promises of all the positive things that were going to happen have not come to pass, and pot advocates are quite disappointed about how things are turning out, and it sounded to me very similar to the story that I had heard in Colorado not long ago. This is becoming a common experience, and once states approve marijuana, it's kind of too late to go back. It's probably not going to be dialed back. And more and more states are being lobbied to consider legalizing recreational marijuana. Are they really going to learn anything from one another? Are there ways to 
avoid some of these pitfalls. So officials in California said that legal pot would ultimately generate a billion dollars a year in taxes. I mean, that's a lot, a billion dollars a year for a state that's really in financial trouble. I think it has a half a trillion dollars in state and local debt. So that was part of the selling point. But it hasn't turned out that way. Why? Why aren't they making revenue? Well, another facet of a disappointment is the fact that the selling point that it would get rid of a lot of the underground market, that hasn't come to pass either. In fact, the underground market may be bigger than ever. I don't know how they measure it exactly, but they're able to tell how much of the pot they sell is through the legal market and how much is through the illegal market. But let me start by the beginning and saying I was pretty surprised about one thing. Um, Even though recreational pot is legal in California, out of 483 cities and 58 counties, 75% in California still don't allow retail storefronts. And I asked why that was the case. And the gentleman I interviewed who's in charge of the pot rules, basically implementing California's pot rules, says that a lot of municipalities recognize or believe that when you have these retail uh, storefronts that sell legal marijuana, it degrades the neighborhood and it hurts the property values. So even though it's legal, a lot of the retail space is not being used in many places because they don't allow it. Then um, as far as how many states actually have legalized marijuana and what they've seen when it comes to the illegal market? Well, there are 11 states I counted, most recently Illinois, that have legalized recreational marijuana. And instead of what they promised, that the black market would be brought under control or eliminated, many are reporting a boom at the same time in the black market. In fact, I I saw a few different reports. In California, it was estimated that 75% of Californians who buy pot are buying it illegally. And then how about this? In Massachusetts, a study found that 90% of the weed sold in Massachusetts in 2018 was illegal, and more than half of the sales in Oregon and Washington State, illegal. Why is it? And it's pretty easy to see if you dig into the follow the money. They have so many taxes on the marijuana. This is how they intended to raise money. But they've put so many taxes on the marijuana that it's actually driving business back to the illegal market because why pay all that money for legalized marijuana when it's quite easy to still buy it illegally? There are a few penalties, and it's way, way cheaper. Here's an example. Those on the growing and production side get taxed the following, $1.35 for each ounce of fresh cannabis plants, then $2.87 per ounce for leaves, and $9.65 per ounce for dried cannabis flowers. So that's just when it's being grown and produced. Then when it gets to the retail side, it's going to be sold to customers. You can add on a 15% state excise tax, then a 7.25% state sales tax, and then, of course, there are local sales taxes. Some of them can go up to 10 and a quarter percent more. What does it add up to? I spoke to Jared Kylo, an advocate who runs a group of legal marijuana stores, and he says that the final price of the product, after all the taxes are added on, is up to 60% taxes. So you can see why so much business would be driven to the underground market. More right after a break. 
Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted, off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. Partisan pundits, analysts, and anonymous sources fill new space, leaving little room for facts. I hope you'll pre-order my new book today, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. We are back. So because of these problems I've described with California's legalized pot market, and because so much business is being driven to the illegal market and less revenue is coming in than predicted, California revised its forecasted revenue from its pot excise tax downward by $222 million over two years to match what's really coming in. So they thought they were going to get $355 million in revenue in 2019, last year. They revised $355 million to $288. For this year, 2020, they thought they were going to get $514 million. They've revised that down to $359 million. And um, what does the future look like? Well, the pot advocates are actually lobbying to lower taxes. Interesting argument, sort of, you hear this made at the national level too. They say to increase revenue instead of raising taxes on the product, if you lower taxes, more people will buy the product and it will drive more business to the legal market and result in more revenue overall. That's the argument they're making. So um, for now, with the taxes as they are, there's a company called BDS Analytics that did a report in 2019 that predicted that California's legal cannabis sales will still, despite the challenges, grow to something like $7.2 billion by 2024. So they still see this as a huge revenue generator ultimately, although interestingly, the firm with its projections said that in 2024, when it was going to be raising $7.2 billion in revenue, that the illegal market, they said, would still account for more than half of all cannabis sales in California. Very interesting. Okay, what else do we have on Full Measure this week that you can see? I interviewed Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, and the way I started the interview, I wanted to ask her, what was the impact on schools of, of course, the coronavirus shutdowns? Because I wrote an article about this for The Hill. It's almost as if there are some permanent education reforms happening in a forced way, unintentionally because of the shutdown. In other words, people have long talked about how education should be moved into the future or what options should be offered. Well, with so many schools having shut down and still partially shut down or teaching with new methods, distance learning and using online, 
are some of these changes going to be permanent? Are some parents who have seen that they can educate their own kids, homeschool their kids, will they continue to do so? Are some parents who've pulled their kids out or who haven't had a public school that will let their kids attend in person and they've put them in private school, will they keep those kids in private school? Um, You know, I think it's an interesting question. And what came out of that, Betsy DeVos talked about school choice, which Republicans are still trying to push through on a federal level, but there are some places that have implemented school choice at the state level. And I realize that I have not dug into what school choice means exactly. I think I have a general sense. But what I got from her when I asked was, it's basically the idea of taking the money that's devoted to educating a child in K through 12, the public money, and allowing parents to take some part of that, if not all of it, to move their kid to a what they may consider a better situation for the child, maybe a private school, maybe in the age of coronavirus, a shared teaching situation in a neighborhood. Maybe it's for tutors at home. And Betsy DeVos pointed out that the average amount of public money spent to educate a pupil today in the United States K through 12 is something like $12,000 a year. That's a lot of money. And wait till you hear this. In Washington, D.C., it's $30,000. That's like college tuition. And so, of course, parents that may not have favored school choice before, now that they've been thrust into this coronavirus response, more of them are saying, yeah, I'd like to have that money to use at my disposal because I'm educating my children in alternate ways, but I'm not getting any support for it. Interesting thought. And um, Betsy DeVos also pointed out that without school choice, the one she says who are hurt the most are those who belong to lower income families because families who have money are already educating their children using these alternate methods. Maybe they've put their kids in private school or hired tutors, but the families who don't have that extra money, the money's still going to the public school where the kid's not getting the same education, but it's not able to be used for the supplemental needs of these children in the lower income families. So interesting discussion with Betsy DeVos Interesting issue and debate when we're talking about school choice. Then we also have a story from Lisa Fletcher. She has been covering the California rash of wildfires for several years, and she's learned a lot of interesting stuff that she's been reporting on full measure. If you've watched, you know that she learned a lot of the wildfire problems, according to people in California and at the federal level, stem from lack of proper management of forests. In other words, when there is a fire, the reason they spread so much and so fast is because the proper prevention's not being done. That's one cause. A second cause is the um, power company, one of the giant power companies there, has been faulted and is, had to pay, is having to pay billions of dollars to victims because it uh, got found guilty of not properly maintaining and improving its power lines, which some of which had grown very old, and that these power lines would spark sometimes, especially during a storm or some sort of problem, and they would catch the dry brush nearby on fire. And of course, the brush hadn't been cut and maintained properly, so the fire spread. So there's all of these man-pinpointed reasons why these wildfires are so devastating. 
And Lisa pointed out that because California's had to spend so much of its money responding to the fires, it's been pulling money out of its prevention budget. And as it pulls money out of the prevention budget, the wildfires get worse. Of course, this subject has been raised again because once again, California says it's having its worst wildfire season ever. And the governor specifically faulted climate change, as have others. Without really taking that on directly, we did an update to our story. Lisa looked into some of the fixes that have been proposed that California had been pushing for that involve putting more money into the prevention or giving them more money so they don't have to spend their whole budget on response with nothing left for these preventive measures. So Lisa will have an update to her reporting on full measure as well. And then the last story we have this week, kind of a fun story just in terms of we don't take it too terribly seriously, and Scott Thuman has a way of reporting these things in a wry and interesting way, I think. But we're looking at the return of sports after coronavirus when it's not really back in the form that most people want it to be back. And to do this story, he visited, of course, an empty stadium in Chicago. He went to a sports bar. He promises it was for work. I don't believe it. I think he went to have a beer. That's okay. Scott, you can use your full measure job to goof off a little bit and have a beer. You deserve it. You've been into enough dangerous war zones and places for us. But anyway, uh, he'll talk to us about how the lack of sports and how it's coming back is impacting places that rely on sports for their business like these sports bars. I hope you will catch us live on television Sunday, but if you miss it, as I mentioned, Go to fullmeasure.news anytime online and you can catch replays of these segments. It's worth watching because we are reporting off narrative news. We're not rehashing the same old news that you're seeing, those same couple of stories over and over again on TV channels, listening to the roundtable of political pundits who never say anything surprising or unexpected because each side is pushing out the propaganda that they want you to believe. Not on full measure. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and I hope you will subscribe to Full Measure After Hours, leave a great review, and share it with your friends. Also, if you like off-narrative news and reflections without the spin, check out the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, my other podcast, wherever you like to listen. Pre-order Slanted, my new book, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. I also like to think of this with an alternate title as The Death of the News as We Once Knew It. Was it murder or suicide? I think you will love this book. Talk to you next week. <laughs>